The Grow Kinder podcast features conversations with thought leaders in education, business, tech, and the arts, who all share one thing in common, a dedication to growing kinder in their work and lives, and helping others do the same. Brought to you by Committee for Children. Andrea, how are you doing today? Hi, Mia. I'm doing pretty well today. In fact, I started my day with my kids doing an activity from Imagine Neighborhood. Well, what a coincidence. We're going to be talking about Imagine (laughs) Neighborhood today, which, as you know, but our listeners might not know, another podcast from Committee for Children. So you and I do this podcast, but I also executive produce a different podcast which is for kids, and it's called Imagine Neighborhood. And we have a cast of zany characters, and we have weekly stories and themes that are aligned with our Second Step program, but they all take place in the Imagine Neighborhood, and we have princess dinosaurs, and we have robot vampire vacuum cleaners. And Mm -hmm. they have really high anxiety levels. Well, (laughs) not that vacuum. The vacuum really does. The vacuum's main personality trait is high anxiety. That's for <laughs> sure. The vacuum doesn't count. Vacula does not like it when Scotty leaves the house. Yes, because yes. he's not sure he's going to come back. So we have to deal with a lot of anxious feelings from Count Vacula. So we are currently on. Gosh. I don't know, week 15 or 16, I think, of the program. And we got some really exciting news this morning that the podcast was featured on the Apple Podcast New and Noteworthy list. And last week, we were on the new list for kids in education and kids and family. But today, it was for all podcasts. The big list. Wow. The big one. And I just kept having to check. I kept having, I kept looking at my phone. Is that real? Did that really happen? That's and amazing. Congratulations to you and, and the crew at Imagine Neighborhood. That's Thank you. Well, you know, huge, huge shout out to Scotty Iseri, who is the host and the main writer for the show. It's really his creative genius that brings it to life. And a group of us are along for the ride on that. <laughs> and we have a small team and I'm one of the people and we also are bringing it to our podcast today to talk to Sherry Whedon, who is our director of research at Committee for Children, who is our research advisor. And I don't know, Sherry, you could probably say that you probably wear many, many more hats than being a research advisor. Certainly, it's beyond the call of normal duty that you are also a character. (laughs) Dr. Sherry, Dr. Sherry, PhD, One of my son's favorite characters in a land where there are dinosaur princesses (laughs) and super flexing. (laughs) Macho um, supreme. Yeah, space going. (laughs) Macho supreme. When I asked my son what character he wanted to draw for Imagine Neighborhood, he said, Dr. Sherry, PhD. And he, (laughs) so welcome, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sherry, did you ever think you would have your very own theme song? I never dared to dream of such a thing. It's actually super cool, and I get it caught in my head once in a while, and it's so fun to have your own theme song. Dr. Sherry, PhD, 
so Sherry, can you describe a little bit what it's like to work on Imagine Neighborhood and sort of your evolving role? And how did you go from us asking you a few questions about the research to being an integral character on this show? Can we first just hear what is Imagine Neighborhood? I don't know that we gave a good overview of what that is. So maybe what is it? And then what do you do? (laughs) Imagine Neighborhood is a podcast intended for kids and their grown-ups to listen to. And our goal is to help kids and their parents learn more about social emotional skills, how to interact with people in a fun, non-lesson-y kind of way. So we're aligned with Second Step, which is a universal classroom program, and it's very clearly centered on lessons that the teacher leads. When we decided to try to do this podcast, we wanted to provide the same opportunities to learn, but in a much more fun, less structured kind of way. So when we teach about taking turns or sharing or waiting, it's really embedded within the story. So we're not explicitly saying, hey, kids, learn this thing, but it's something that they'll pick up by listening to the podcast. So what I do, as Mia said, I started out joining meetings to answer the occasional question and so on. I got involved in reviewing the scripts for the podcast, which was really fun and a great opportunity for some creative outlet. With COVID-19, when that all started and we started doing quarantining and so on, the team wanted to address anxieties that children and their grown-ups might be feeling related to COVID-19. This is really an unprecedented time for everyone. Nobody's gone through it before. So it seemed like a really important opportunity to address that feeling scared is perfectly normal. Everybody feels scared. It's good to talk about it. And so that's how Scotty hatched the plan of making Sherry into Dr. Sherry PhD. And I joined in a mini, mini episode where we just talk essentially about how it's perfectly normal and okay to be worried and scared when things are uncertain and that you should just talk to the people around you so that you can share your feelings and maybe they can help you a little. So that was the origins of the Dr. Sherry character. I just realized I now have an origin story. That's Oh, cool. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Super Dr. Sherry. And really, what is it like to be a researcher working in a creative endeavor? You know, a lot of folks with research backgrounds, PhDs are in academia We have a whole team of researchers that you (laughs) oversee and mentor. And so what's different for you about being able to interact with a team in a creative way to bring research to life? Well, first of all, I'll say the team is all really great about hearing the research perspective. And we've made some changes based on research so that we can be sure that we are helping people learn the correct skills and in an appropriate way for the age of kids that we are targeting. So that's one thing. But also it's a much more active role for me than I get to have on the other products because I manage other researchers. But in Match Neighborhood, I get to actually participate in the creation of the product and bring new research or interesting approaches that hopefully are both fun and useful. Hmm. I think, Sherry, you are particularly useful in the episode where we had to figure out how Scotty was going to retrieve all the socks from the sock goblins. And it wasn't clear how we were going to get him to be able to do that. But, you know, (laughs) pitching him through the socks on the tail of the dinosaur, I think Uh was maybe part of your genius plan. That that was based in research. Luckily, we have a retrieval. How to retrieve socks from sock goblins. (laughs) Okay. All right. You have a great background and 
<laughs> in your study. You know, there's not many with that specialization, so right. it was lucky that I had it. I'm interested, Mia, there are a lot of avenues for helping kids and parents develop their social emotional skills and maybe you and Sherry both could I know you're a co-host but I'm just curious why a podcast right well it was partially planned and partially luck let me just say that we came up with that we had been working on a project for parents of young kids because we heard so many things about parents really wanting to know more about social emotional skills, how they could incorporate them into the home. But we knew that a school curriculum and the offshoot of that was something that wasn't really working so well in the home. And then we also experimented with an app that had activities for the parents to do, but it was still kind of a heavy lift. And we thought there needs to be something that draws them into this. There needs to be something that keeps people coming back. And we know that people in their homes do certain kinds of things with kids, right? They play games, they do entertainment, they read. So we thought, well, what is going to be best for this particular team of people to do? And it turned out we had Scotty, who we've mentioned, who in previous iterations of his career, has been an actor, has been a radio personality, has done a media company for kids. And so we kind of put those skills together with the skills that we had on the team. And we wanted to be able to be really responsive. And the innovation team that I lead, we try to do things to prove concepts rather than doing, say, a big movie or a big television series idea you know, we thought, well, what would be an easy media experiment that we could do? And so we thought about doing this podcast. The other reason that we thought a podcast that we'd been hearing time and again in focus group after focus group and conversation after conversation with parents about how much they wanted something that wasn't screen time for their yeah. kids. And that's kind of how the name Imagine Neighborhood came up also because we just wanted kids to be able to use their imagination. Like we don't even have drawings of the characters. We don't have on our website drawings of Macho Supreme or Princess Donosaurus or Count Bacula because we want kids to imagine them. Mm -hmm. We want them to look like they want them to look and have this world that they imagine in their own minds and be able to talk to their parents about that. Mm -hmm. So the podcast essentially was a way for us to do inexpensively and very creatively put the content that we wanted together to make it fun and educational for our families. Hmm. And also it allows us to be really responsive. Um, yeah. If you were to film something, you have to plan it out for months, if not a year in advance. This way, we didn't know a pandemic was going to happen. We'd been planning for a few months to do this podcast. And all of a sudden, we're in the middle of a giant crisis. And then we were able to do an episode on a pandemic. Like there's a pandemic in the Imagine neighborhood, the pixie yeah. pandemic. It's actually, that episode was so helpful for my family at the close of the episode. Because we, first of all, we listened to the mini episode with Dr. Sherry about how kind of talk about coronavirus with kids. And we listened to that together, which all of Imagine Neighborhood is designed for you to listen together. You can set your kids up for it, but I typically do listen to it with them when I'm doing other activities, but we're listening at the same time. So we did that. And then we listened to the Pixie Pandemic episode and it was so truly brilliantly done, I thought, because at the close of it, my son, who I thought had kind of gotten all of his feelings out <laughs> around it, or was like kind of thinking about things very logically, his comment was, well, 
coronavirus is worse than pixies. And we got to talk about why he felt that way and what his specific concerns were. And he's a tough nut to crack. Like he doesn't like to talk about, (laughs) talk about his feelings. It's like the work I do. I've somehow ended up with a kid that doesn't want to talk to me about his feelings, but it was really good in having a conversation that felt, it spurred a conversation that felt safe for him. So I thought that was great. And I'd love to hear more, Sherry, about how have you changed the way you're working with the podcast during this? You talked a little bit about it, but what are some specific things that parents need to be responsive to or things that you're handling within the podcast because of COVID-19? So I think that the Pixie Pandemic episode and the two mini episodes with Dr. Sherry were really important for helping parents, just kind of giving them that nudge to think to ask, how are you feeling about this, about COVID-19 or having to stay home all the time? Because I think the adults are dealing with their own emotions as well, which might make it a little harder to remember to ask those questions of your kids. Another thing we did is for the last six weeks of the school year, as kids were staying home for all of that as well, we expanded our offerings. So we have the weekly episode, which is with its theme, and then we support that theme with daily activities from Tuesday through Friday. So as it happens, one of the activities is the Dr. Sherry PhD emotion experiment. So each week we have an activity or mini experiment that families can do together to reinforce the theme or help kids learn the particular skill that we are talking about in that week's episode. On Wednesdays, we have Music Man Jones, where he talks about how you can express emotions or the theme in music. And then on Thursdays, we do movement, again, related to the theme. And on Fridays, we bring in mindfulness with an episode from Mind Yeti to help kids learn to be more mindful and centered in the moment. So this has been a much bigger lift than we were planning when we were doing only the podcast, but it's also been super fun. Scotty is really smart about the ways that he brings things in and also has a lot of really creative friends who have been able to pitch in here and there. So that's been really an exciting extension of the podcast, which we originally intended for kids and parents to listen to together, to now expanding it to a full week of activities to help support SEL skills at home. Yeah, that's great. I've heard a lot of good feedback from, especially we have a lot of schools and districts that are sending out those activities because they're aligned with the curriculum that we support. So really good feedback around parent engagement for that. And I guess that's also (laughs) true because now it's in the top podcast page. So truly congratulations to your team on that. Yeah, we're all super excited. (laughs) Yeah, very excited about it. Thank you. And you know, the other thing that I just want to mention is when things are experimental, especially most of the projects that we do with our group, we kind of start out and we put something out there and we see what it's going to be. We really thought that Originally, this would be kind of for preschoolers, but as it's turned out, the age range is really more between four and 10. And the content, it's nice. It has kind of a wide range of appeal for kids Mm -hmm. in elementary, even a little bit earlier. Like if you have a precocious Mm four-year-old, they can be interested in the characters. And I think also, Sherry, maybe you'll agree with this, that in the most recent episodes, We've been including a lot of really fun nuggets for the parents as well. <laughs> yeah. They've gotten more and more interesting that way. I think that's the best approach. I'm sure you had this too, Mia, but as a parent, 
some things are excruciating <laughs> to sit through with your kids. A lot of TV shows and books and things that my kids prefer, it's a chore to do them for me. And so I really appreciate it when media takes that into consideration and they put things that are appropriate, but also for the parents in there. So I think that's great. Speaking of parents, one thing that I noticed is parents or adults are not perfect in Imagine Neighborhood. And there's this common thread in the episodes of kind of demystifying parents as being perfect and that letting kids know that adults get scared, that they make mistakes. Why do you think that's important, Sherry, especially right now? So I think in general, it's important. I think that it's kind of something kids don't realize, especially at the young age, we're focusing on that their parents are people too and that they don't know everything and that they're going to make mistakes. So by making that accessible within the episodes, I think it might open up a whole new realization or understanding for kids of their parents. I think right now it's especially important because with a pandemic and quarantine that we don't know how long it's going to last, kids and parents are possibly together 24-7. So we need kids to recognize that their parents don't know everything and right now, nobody knows everything. We've never lived through a time like this before. So we really want to open up the possibility that this is something we're all figuring out together. So if your parents don't know the answers right now, maybe you can do some research together to look for things to do when you're stuck at home for three months in a row, or what's the latest research to bring in, the research side of things on COVID-19. So I think there is a good learning opportunity for kids and their parents, but also an opportunity to learn together about the questions kids have. Mm -hmm. I imagine there are some parents who'd be worried about their kids thinking that they don't know everything, but <laughs> I think it's, it's in service of empathy for parents, right? So there are mm -hmm. things that I know that I've told my children that are now no longer true, that I just, I had the information I had at the time. <laughs> And it can be hard for them when that information changes or what we can do changes or how long we're going to be doing it changes. And so mm -hmm. I think there is this perspective of it giving kids more empathy for what you as a family may be going through and that you are in it together. One of the other nice things about the podcast that we are noticing is that kids are listening to them over and over. So it isn't that they just listen to it once and it's on to the next They'll have their favorite characters or they'll have their favorite episodes that they like to listen to more than once. And I don't know, Sherry, if you have any insight into that, but it seems to me a really great way to be able to really reinforce concepts and skills over time. I think it also shows the level of engagement that the kids have with the episodes because we know that kids learn through repetition. So that's why kids can watch the same episode of Blue's Clues every day for a week. And it's because initially it's all new and they're focusing on this part and then that part. But then over the course of listening to it over and over, they get so they can now anticipate what's coming next, which is very exciting when you're a kid. But also they're getting into more of the deeper levels of the information that we're providing in there. So I think it's really exciting that kids are listening to the episodes more than once. I think that when I was saying that my child, it opened up, the Pixie Pandemic episode opened up another conversation. I forget how often I have to talk about things and repeat things for them to get it. Like one day they know it and the next day they don't. Mm -hmm. And that's a frustrating thing for parents. Like you've been able to wash your hands since you were this old. Like, why is this a problem? now or why are you forgetting now and so I think there's probably some 
wisdom in there for parents so we could sort of say like they don't just have it after one time <laughs> they're continuing to grow with the information and learn more about it and understand it in different ways developmentally so it's a good tool for that i think for like it's another way to have these stories and conversations show up for them so that that so that they do eventually get it right the things around safety or washing your hands or you think oh i told them but that's not all it takes, especially right. for younger kids. Right, One thing we've kind of been hoping is that parents and kids will bring up the episodes when they're addressing a particular skill or topic, and they can go remember by Macho Supreme, blah, 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 so that the kids can kind of relate it back to the episode, and it becomes part of the way that they're communicating with each other. Hopefully, we're providing tools that are good enough mm -hmm. that that's what's going to happen. Well, it does have those nice reference points too. So one of the things that you mentioned, Blue's Clues or Daniel Tiger or these sorts of things, it's like, is there a shorthand I can use as a parent? So it's really enticing to like leave your kids on a thing. Like <laughs> here, here, watch this thing. Listen to this thing. I need five minutes. I need 20 minutes. I've got to do the dishes. But I've started just listening to it when we have lunch together because sometimes I'm so overloaded that if I can take a lunch break, it's really hard for me to engage with them in the way that I would hope. So it sort of gives me a brain break. It's like table topics, right? So I get a brain break, but then I get a question. So I'm still having conversation with them. Like I feel like I'm doing good parenting, but then having listened to it later, I can reference things that they caught in the episodes. So that's another thing I appreciate about children's media is when that's taken into account for parents, that simple song or that shorthand, that word or that phrase that has started to cement in their minds to get to a goal quicker. <laughs> That's really helpful. Yeah, we've tried to pepper the episodes with shorthand, as you call it, for an episode on recognizing that it's hard to wait. We have something where Scotty says, it's going to be a May, wait for it. And then you wait, 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 zing it's going to be amazing. So you draw that out and it's like a little kind of game that you can play with the kids. There's one about crossing the street. There's a little acronym for crossing the street. I don't know, Sherry, if you can think of some others. Spew. Oh, spew. That's the one for crossing the street. Yeah. Oh, I got it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we try and put those things in or just like little fun things that the kids can repeat along mm -hmm. and hopefully remember later. Mm-hmm. What are the kinds of themes and topics that you feel are, they were just so important to address during the pandemic? So just to give listeners a sense of, if you're going to focus in on some areas that are critical right now for kids and parents, what have you chosen for that content? So I think talking about emotions is one that's really important. Accepting that emotions are normal, we're all going to feel them, and then it helps to talk about it. So I think that's one big thing. I think positive interactions with the people that you're with 24 hours a day is a really important skill to emphasize. I mean, it's really easy to snap at somebody, but it's much nicer to take a breath, emotion regulation skills, than ask for what you need or explain why you can't do that right now. So emotion regulation also in there, obviously very important. And I just feel like there's so many things we touch on. I'm having trouble choosing one, for example, that mm -hmm. would be most important. Well, I think the one about disappointment and frustration, right? Yeah. So really helping kids add to their emotion vocabulary by being able to articulate 
the fact that they are disappointed that they can't do the things that they would normally be able to do and frustrated that they have to stay inside. So, and then we did a Dr. Sherry follow-up on that episode where Sherry talks a little bit more about the differences between frustration and disappointment and and why it's important to go ahead and name your feelings. Then we also have several episodes. Sherry mentioned that we have six weeks worth of episodes plus activities, and those all really focus around problem solving. And so we thought that was important with kids being in the house together, that there was probably some amount of tension. (laughs) Right, conflict. There's definitely with siblings or with Conflict resolution, how to think about something from someone else's perspective is a big one. Making a plan on how you solve a problem rather than just getting frustrated and getting angry. We've got some fun upcoming episodes that will kind of bring all the skills together. So we're looking forward to those. I think that one that I appreciated a lot, actually, it may be a favorite of my kid right now, the phone gremlin one, (laughs) which was, I think it was really good too, because the adult is the one that has trouble giving up the device, which I know not every adult struggles with, but I think we're all seeking a little (laughs) respite, right? We're all like, I need to lose myself in something. And, And I think that that was because there's so much screen time happening with school with, because I, you got to get a break and you do want them to feel engaged with things, but then they get too engaged and you can't get them off of the phone or you can't get them off of the tablet. I think it was good to flip that and it be a grown up. And also it had a nice sort of tool of take a breath, finish your last thing, hand it over. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which in practice has been harder than some of the other things, you know, for my child in particular. But I really appreciated that one because it also kind of made me think about how much I am in that space of staring at a device, answering them with non-committal, huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so I think there's a lot to dig into there. Yeah, I really okay. like that we did that topic as well because there's research that shows that kids are very aware that their parents are on the phone rather than participating in whatever the child is doing, and it's really frustrating for them. So I think it's fun and informative for them to see this enacted within the episode and the way that they found a solution. So I don't know how many parents will be receptive to being told to finish up their last thing, but you know, it's not a bad message. And that was also a fun episode because we partnered with Common Sense Media on that one. We had been talking with them and they were saying that this is something that they hear about for parents all the time. Can you give us something to help us with transitioning off of digital devices? So we got help with the strategy from them and that was really a helpful partnership. Speaking of transitions, we don't have a whole lot of time with Sherry, and I'm super curious about one research topic. It's not totally related to Imagine Neighborhood, but we've been talking a lot about the summer slump, (laughs) and there's a lot of articles out in the world about that, and maybe you could just kind of describe for people what do we mean by the summer slump and how it, especially now we're hearing the COVID slide. So what are those things, and how does social-emotional learning factor in So the summer slump, also known as the summer learning loss, is what we see with kids every year between the end of the school year and the start of the next school year, where they actually lose some of their skills over that period of time. And it's largely because they're not practicing. And unfortunately, this impacts lower income children more than higher income children because they're less likely to travel 
or go to camp or do other things like go to museums and so on that some other families are able to do. Actually, we just had a study that was done on the Second Step Elementary School program that showed it was across two years and they had some schools that did second step and some schools that didn't. And so the second step kids increased in their social emotional skills from fall to summer, but then over summer, they dropped down, both groups dropped down. So it's happening for literacy and math and all those other academic skills, but it's also happening for kids with their SEL skills. Wow. So I think the concern about the COVID slide is that some kids are going to be missing the last three months of their school year, essentially. And even though schools are working very hard to continue to provide learning, not all parents are going to be able to give kids the full structured day that they need to absorb that information. And also there's equity issues around families that don't have access to the internet or don't have anything other than one phone to access the lessons that are being provided online. So there's a, a real concern, real genuine concern, that first of all, kids overall are getting less instruction, but there's going to be some group of kids who aren't getting these last three months of their school year, essentially. Which would just kind of be even more detrimental exactly. to, to their retaining what they had learned in the first half of the school year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what parents can do is get their kids involved in anything, practically. So make a habit of asking your kids how they feel or explaining how you regulated your emotions. So bring up SEL. Get a twofer by reading a book together and then talking about how the characters felt or how they solved the problem so that way you're doing literacy and SEL at the same time. Try new things. If you don't have like a family game night, start doing that. It's a great way to bring in some reading, maybe some math depending on mm -hmm. the games, but also kids are practicing turn-taking, dealing with their frustrations, all kinds of really important skills. Plus, you get all that in-person, one-on-one time between parents and their kids. So mostly I think it takes some intentionality on the parents' part and probably some really good SEL skills around perseverance and dealing with frustration. But I think it's well worth the effort if you can reduce the summer learning loss with a yeah. COVID slide. Yeah, it seems like there is an opportunity in just finding something your kids are really engaged in or self-motivated around. Mm -hmm. So I when you were saying that game night or something like that, I will have to say, my son's only in kindergarten, his math skills have just soared because he's playing so much Pokemon and he has to do the math for the Pokemon game. And it's amazing because he's just so motivated around Pokemon more so than any, <laughs> any schoolwork he gets. And so I think if you can identify some things, like they really love that topic and so they're more likely to read about it. I think that that's one thing that might... <laughs> it makes it a little easier if they want to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the challenges I think all parents have is you feel like you're forcing your kids to do something that they're not very engaged in. And schools are really trying to make it engaging, but just being on the screen all day, trying to get those lessons, if they don't have a screen, trying to do packets of work without mm -hmm. direct help from the teacher or instruction, it's just very challenging. So I like that you're like, just do something, right? Right. Just Try to have a new experience, try to play games, try to, reading is huge, so mm -hmm. whatever you can do to support that, right? Yeah, exactly. For example, my dad was a really big cribbage player, and so as a 
little kid, the most thrilling thing was to be allowed to play cribbage, which was good for my counting skills, good for my adding skills. Like mm -hmm. I learned so much about math from playing cribbage that I don't know that I would have had at least at that early age without mm -hmm. that experience. So I think a there's big a lot of can only add up to 15. Yeah, <laughs> no, 29, 29. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that advice. I'm going to carry that with me. And I think it's really going to spur us to do more to support educators and families over the summer that those findings have been shown to cross that boundary into social skills. And mm -hmm. it's not surprising, but there's, with evidence of it, we're compelled to act. Right, right. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for Committee for Children to really see what they can provide for families over the summer that's engaging and interesting and that they won't feel like pulling teeth to make the kids right. do it. So where can listeners learn more about Imagine Neighborhood and your work? So Imagine Neighborhood has a website. It's imagineneighborhood.org. And so on there, we have the episodes that people can listen to. We have a little bit of background on the program, little blurbs about each of the team members. So that's all good. We also have at the top of the page an activity tab. So if you click on that, you can get the six episodes we've been talking about with all of the associated activities. So it's all right there for you to find on the internet. Sherry, thank you so much for being our guest today. And thank you for being our amazing research advisor slash character on the podcast. <laughs> it's been great. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. You can find more episodes at growkinderpodcast.org and make sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher.